Welcome back to episode five of First Time Outdoors, guys. Uh, today we have a guest in studio, Ocean, who recently was on uh, their first hunt. So we're going to do a little quick interview and kind of do a recap of the hunt, um, get some reactions and kind of see what that process was all about. So stick with us and enjoy the show. Thanks for being here, Ocean. Um, I'm happy that you were willing to give uh, bow hunting whitetails a try for the first time. Um, before we get started, I want to make note of uh, the fact that Ocean uses they, them pronouns. So when we are referring to Ocean, we will use they, them, and their. Um, I want to ask you, because the pronouns um, topic is new to me, and I know that sometimes I'm going to make mistakes. Um, how do you want that to be handled? Yeah. Going forward. No problem. Um, just call me they, them when you can. And otherwise, they're all fine. It's fine. Okay. Thank you for asking, though. I appreciate yeah. that a lot. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, why don't we just kind of do a little bit of a background, kind of where you came from, how you came to this decision to go on a hunt with Mike and Derek, and yeah, give us a little bit of your background. Yeah. Um, well, maybe I should just start with Mike and I met each other teaching Spanish at, um, or no, Mike didn't teach Spanish. Mike taught science. I taught Spanish for some high schoolers at a school in St. Paul. And then uh, we've been good buds ever since. And um, I'm a vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian since I was like 13. Um, and I've also been like a really big outdoors person since I was okay. like very young. Um, so I have a lot of, t I've spent a lot of time outside and I've spent a lot of time thinking about food. I have a garden. I really am like fascinated by food production. Um, but then to actually hunt that came out of like our friendship and being like, I had never even thought about it that way before. So. Sure. Interesting. So yeah, I didn't even, I didn't put that together that you're a vegetarian. So that, are you coming at this with the sense that like, you won't eat the meat if you ever were if you ever tour hunt or would you eat meat that you harvested well okay so i've been uh like i would say since 13 i've never like bought meat to cook when i could have bought vegetables to cook okay and if i go out to eat i'm not gonna buy meat unless that's kind of the only thing on the menu but I, I would guess technically I would be a flexitarian because I eat meat when somebody has like made it for me because I feel like that's an, a sign of respect. And I eat meat when I know it's like really sustainably raised. So like my aunt and uncle make bison and I'll eat that because they know where the bison comes from. And I kind of know a lot about bison and why they're so good for the world. So that kind of a thing. So I'm like flexible. Sure. And if I'm going to hunt it, the reason I'm vegetarian is because I don't believe you should be like overfishing or over farming or over hunting like doing things that are going to hurt the long-term success of the human race and i don't think you should be like unnecessarily hurting animals but um hunting doesn't yeah. do either of those things so. oh interesting yeah so what made you want to give it a try well having those conversations with you just as chill pals i mean i was never thinking about hunting while we were talking about it you know but mm -hmm. just like you would share that you did it and i would ask you questions about it and then kind of learn more and more about how connected conservation is with hunting um, and how connected particularly bow hunters are with like the ethics of animal, you know, killing and consumption um, and being like, I love being outside, you know, and I love the idea of being able to be kind of self-sufficient and how do I, you know, how do I build those skills? Plus, I think if your friend does something really cool that they care a lot about, eventually you just kind of do it too. Yeah. 
did you have was Mike like the first person that you came in contact in a close way with that that hunted or did you have anybody in your family or any other network that hunted my dad's friend when I was a kid was Mm -hmm. a bow hunter and I remember vaguely thinking that that was cool but no nobody at all who would ever like introduce me to hunting or that's the same thing I mean Mike introduced me to the whole thing as well with as long with a couple other friends um but basically like yeah i had no network yeah and i think that that is a big barrier and something we're trying to kind of accomplish here with this this project is like providing a space for people to have a network of friends or connections to learn i think that's like the main reason with everything in the world if you don't know somebody that Mm -hmm. has a different experience with you like why would you learn more about their experience like Mm -hmm. it's just harder to so that i found that with hunting and fishing it's like those people yeah i don't know just being friends with people that have that as like their life it it, you just naturally sort of bring that into your own life as well yeah and i think that there's just a lot of like if you don't think about it and you don't know anybody from a group of people you just don't even think about all of the assumptions you make about what happens while hunting happens you know just being like i know that there are people who i would get along with who hunt but it had never even occurred to me to wonder if those people were out there Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and i know that there are also some people who hunt who i wouldn't get along with and maybe like that's kind of the way that they're portrayed i don't know the hunters in general from not in general but like from my family's perspective or from like how i was raised the random assortment of people and films and stuff that i was exposed to it was just like that's cool, but I could never see my, myself like hanging with those people. Yep. That was one of the questions I had that I've never asked you, is what impressions you had about hunters before you and I met. Yeah, and, and maybe I think... Maybe in like, the approachability that you might have in a, that sort of uh, theater. I think if you'd asked me, I probably would have been like, none. You know, like I don't make those generalizations, but I think that like meeting you showed me that I had, that they were just buried inside of me, you know, because I was continuously surprised knowing you like, oh, Mike's a hunter, but blah, 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 you know, and just being like, wow, I really, I just don't even think you even know what, what preconceptions you have about a group of people until you meet somebody who belongs to that group of people. And then that's how you start to find out, like, what are those things that you believe? Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point, Ocean. And I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but I think going off topic a little bit, you know, I had no idea, and I still can't really claim to know what it's like growing up or living with somebody or living as somebody with your identities, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, I, I had all these different ideas on what that looked like, and it really took you and I getting to know each other and spending a lot of quality time together. And I think specifically sitting in conferences with you for two <laughs> days straight. Yeah. You know, really getting to know you as a person Yeah, was important for um, my, I don't know, understanding and uh, um, appreciation for people that have a lot different perspectives and backgrounds than I do. So I appreciate our friendship for that reason as well. So oh, same. So I knew this nice. was going to be a good friendship podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think, yeah, um, all of this stuff that we're talking about, like not knowing somebody from a certain group, whether it's hunters or, you know, go down the list. Like you, 
yeah just you said it perfectly like you don't know what you don't know until you start to meet these people Mm -hmm. and i think that that's that was my experience with the hunting and fishing community as well just like i wasn't i only had a couple uh uncles and cousins who hunted and i didn't really have like a very close relationship with them growing up so that that was they were my only reference Mm -hmm. that that and movies like you said so interesting I'm sure that'll be something we'll continue to explore, uh, maybe in this podcast and in in, co- in the coming weeks. And I think that's that's a, something that needs to be fleshed out a little further. Yeah, I would I would definitely be interested in a future podcast, just having a conversation about opening more doors to people that aren't like rural white males. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that there's a lot of stuff out there about decrease in hunting license sales and stuff like that and i think making it more approachable to everybody is really important so maybe that's something we uh put in the put in the hopper for a future podcast it'd be really interesting conversation to have for sure um let's stay on the topic of the the hunt itself or you know bow hunting um i'm curious about what your expectations were leading in like what what sorts of um preconceptions did you have um when i talked to my brother in the morning of that day i was feeling really excited but i think that even though i i knew that it was going to be a really big deal and it was going to be really spiritual and it was going to be kind of sad and kind of powerful and kind of beautiful at the same time it's like something that you know in your head you know but then actually being there and sitting in the tree and being frozen in that tree for hours and being like what do I think about now I'm done thinking about everything I could think about and then thinking about the deer and the fact that we're gonna kill this deer and then like like literally touching a dead deer that I didn't directly kill but I was on a hunt and like we collectively killed it it was just something you couldn't ever prepare for so I feel like I feel like I, I, I was prepared for what was gonna happen but there was just no way for me to be prepared for how it was gonna hit me you know, or just like the the physicality of it. And it's one of those things where it's hard to explain what's different on the other side. Like I knew what was going to happen. I knew we were going to kill an animal, like take out its innards in the forest, drag it out of the forest, put it in a truck and then take off all the parts of it that you can't eat. And then just put the parts of it that you can't eat in a box. But there's something so different about doing it that makes me feel like a very changed person, but I can't put my finger on exactly why. Well, maybe we'll try to, flush that out as we have a conversation super interesting you know it's been a long time since i learned how to bow hunt or like shot my first deer mm-hmm. and it would be kind of fun to relive those own emotions and stuff you know as we're talking through this and um, just to relate a little bit i don't know if we we alluded to it before starting to tape a little bit but i'm i'm a very new hunter as well this is my third year yeah so like that one that we talked about that I shot in the hind leg, mm-hmm. that was my first, and then last year. So I'm kind of the intermediary here. I'm like the, your lifetime experience. I'm like, I've gotten my hands dirty a little bit, uh, you could say, and then with your first time. So well, do you feel I, like... I shared some of that experience. Do you feel like you still have that experience going out where it's still like just way more intense than you could have prepared for? Yeah, yeah, and I try to tell my family that and stuff who has no like idea of what that feels like i'm like it's the most intense thing that i've experienced like i when you have a deer walking at you and you know that you're 
going to be shooting it. Like it, it's so intense. It's not like, it's not like a roller coaster ride. It's not like a scary movie or something. Mm-mm. It's like, this is like, you feel it in your bones. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I, I do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's crazy. And I don't know if that wears off. Um, I gather from a lot of people that it maybe doesn't. Um, but it's, it's powerful mm-hmm. and it's not, it wasn't powerful in a exclusively negative way either for me. No. Like it, it was like kind of scary, kind of exciting, kind of a lot of things, but it wasn't like, I always thought it would be this sort of like, I don't want to do it, but I'm doing it type of feeling. And that's not how I felt in the moment. Well, it's funny. I don't know if you've had this experience, but if you had, I'd love to hear what you do or how you feel about it. Like you come from a bunch of people, Mike, who hunt, right? Mm -hmm. And on my end, just being like, there's not even really anybody I can tell. I can tell everybody and they all respond the same. They're all like, oh, that's so sad. And the amount Mm -hmm. of times that I've heard the name Bambi in the last like two (laughs) weeks, I'm like, this is annoying. But what's really annoying about it for me is like, it's the same exchange. It's like, oh, that's so sad. Me. Did you eat meat this morning for breakfast or last night? Yes. Me. Okay. So why is what you did any less sad? And then there's like a silence and then we just don't talk about it again. Yep. And I'll like bring it up later and they'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's one of those things where I'm like, of course it's not all the way sad to kill a deer because it's not all the way sad to eat a hamburger or to like, you know, like like eating is this really human process that people do with joy all the time. But why is there this particular sadness that we give to Bambi, but we don't give to buying chicken at the store? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that we've talked about this in the past and as kind of your uh, segue or your introduction to this, you had told me that you had experience with butchering right animals, farm animals before. Mm-hmm. And um, your point was that you think that everybody and correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember you saying that you think that everybody should have that kind of contact with where their meat comes from. Like if take part in it. it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if you if you are not comfortable killing an animal, I don't think you have any business eating an animal. Yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah, for sure. I that was one of the main reason, the main drivers. I don't know how I came to this realization, but I think I realized like I was 25 or 26 year old man capable man in that I thought of myself in the context of the world. And I said, how odd is it that I exist and I'm healthy and I've eaten meat my whole life and I don't think I've ever killed an animal. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I, yeah, shot at a bunny when I was a kid, probably killed a couple fish here and there, but like never, that's just, it was just an odd realization. It's like that I don't, a person like me shouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be able to live on this planet yeah. if you eat you meat. Two hundred years ago, and and never been a part of it. Mm-hmm. And I never had nobody in my in the you know immediate fifty people in my life had killed animals like that. So it was this kind of like responsibility I felt to like take take um, take responsibility for my actions and like yeah. So I'm going to continue to eat meat. I am not a vegetarian, and I just know that like I don't necessarily have an ethical problem eating meat and that's something i'm going to continue to do therefore i should do what i can to get out of the you know factory farming and like take responsibility for it Mm -hmm. and sure i still go to the restaurant and eat meat and i order chicken wings and that's whatever that's not great but like since making this decision katie and i haven't bought red meat from the store 
Yeah, it's been three years. Like that feels good to me. Yeah. It's not great. It's not it's not like some sort of superiority thing now that I can look back and say, Well now I do it right. Yeah, you're so because I'm not no, it's not right. that either, but I do feel like I'm at least participating in something that mm-hmm. like yes, I'm capable of. I don't have there's nothing in my way that's a barrier to doing that necessarily. So I should so I should in my mind I should do it then. Yeah. Well, and I think it's so interesting because, like, once you started doing it, it does feel like, why doesn't everyone do it? But I think the other thing to reflect on is, like, how many years I've spent trying to figure out how to do this gardening thing and how how many things it took for me to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, having an apartment with a lot next to it that could have a garden, you know, and, like, getting gardening tools and then getting soil and then learning all the skills. And I'm thinking about how I'm really early on to this hunting thing. Like I've only sat in a tree one time while somebody else shot an arrow at a deer and then like sort of like confusedly followed along while we did a lot of things to the deer, you know, being like there is a lot of there are a lot of reasons why people don't ever develop this like deeper connection to the to like land. Because I think the other part of it is whether or not you're growing plants or sort of killing animals having that that three-way connection between food land and yourself is like so far away it's not just that i don't know anybody who's hunted but like how few people i know who have any kind of like land-based connection to what they're eating whether it's like just anything Anything. but i don't know like it does take a lot of work and you kind of have to we need to i'm not making a lot of sense we need to like all get closer to that whether it's through hunting or something else, just like put in that kind of large amount of work to start. We can cut all of that out. I don't no, know. No, it's good. It's, it's really good. Like, I think we need to reinvest, yeah, to get back and reinvest a little bit on where our food comes from. Mm-hmm. As you said that, I was thinking about, yeah, go down the list and ask your friends, could they, you know, how many things did they eat that they actually had, like, yeah. in a week? They how many how items did you put in your mouth that you... Killed had some contact with mm-hmm. that you grew or harvested I mean, or 95 yeah. to 99% of my friends probably would have a zero there yeah. in a week's time. Yeah. And if you looked at it the other way, how much of your diet every day, mm-hmm. you know, somebody like me who eats a lot of game animals, yeah, it still probably makes up 10% maybe a fraction, of yeah. my, like my daily consumption of food. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's just interesting. You, you had talked about uh, the the amount of prep work and the amount of learning that it took yeah. to to get into gardening and you know consider yourself proficient at it. Um, what did you think about the the prep that goes into bow hunting and harvesting a deer? I think the best way to for to get somebody like me interested in hunting even more is to do what you did. I think taking me along, having no pressure of you having a weapon in my hands, like not giving me anything super glamorous. It was just like, you're going to sit in a tree for four hours. We really might not kill anything at all. You you might just look at deer. And that was how you build it to me. You were like, we're going to go to this farm and your ocean just going to look at deer. And then one of us might kill something. But I think that like, that's how I start to realize both that it's possible and exactly how much it is. I think that not knowing anything about hunting was like the number one barrier. And then secondly, having that confidence of like, okay, I know how to do some things. I know how to like climb a tree. I could probably figure out how to put a stand in a tree. Okay, Mike walked me through why we're sitting here in the forest and not sitting over there on that other part of the forest. Okay, I could probably figure that out, right? Realizing that a lot of it is just like doing 
Mm-hmm. And then that some of it, like the bow, is going to be like training. But realizing that most of it is something I could just learn as I hunt with people in community mm-hmm. was really like, it made me feel like, oh, I could do this. It's not actually as much of a starting yeah. barrier as I thought. Because there was a lot of prep work, but a lot of it seemed like the kind of thing that's just common sense once you've done it a couple times. Yeah. And that's the, the importance of having a mentor. Yeah. You know, those those barriers can be pretty significant, or they seem to be, I think without you somebody there to coach you through it. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And the real beauty, like the worst case scenario, short of like staying safe, like the worst you're going to have like a, a, a nice night in the woods. Right. That's the beauty of it. It's like, yeah, you're, you're probably, when you're bow hunting big game, you're probably not going to be successful. Mm-hmm. You know, the Idaho elk hunt that wow, we just, last episode that we talked about, the, the odds is 10% of all hunters. So it's like, yeah, you're nine times out of 10, you're, you're going to not be successful. Right. But whether you're sitting, whether you're walking around in the mountains of Idaho or you're sitting in an oak tree in Minnesota or wherever, like mm-hmm. watching the sunset, yeah. it does, I mean, there's a lot worse ways to spend a night mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. It's just a frame. It's a, for me, it took a little bit of a change in my mindset to be like, sure, you're not on your phone or you're watching some cool movie or you're out to eat. You're not doing those things. It's not fast paced, but when, once things slow down a bit, you can really appreciate like, oh, this is beautiful. I think that's exactly right. I think that making sure you have that expectation ahead of time is so key because we call it hunting, but the actual act of like shooting it, which is I think what most people think of when they hear the word hunt is like, I'm realizing so small. We should think of it as the process. I mean, but I guess the word hunting is the process, but I think when, when the average American thinks about that, they think about a gun going off or Mm -hmm. like an arrow sinking into flesh. And I think that that's what was setting me up for not success because I'm honestly not that excited about that part. That part Mm -hmm. is like, okay, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's cool that I have the meat after. But what really excites me is like I get to hang out with a cool friend and talk about deer and talk about the forest and talk about the wind and talk about how we smell and talk about, you know, the trees and the lighting and the weather. Those are all things that are so cool that I just like it had never even occurred to me are the central part of hunting. Yeah. Well, let's talk maybe about the prep work that went into it, and then we can lead into the actual story of getting to the woods and sitting for the first time. Um, so to start off, I I had you come over, mm. and we looked at uh, a map of the property. You know, this is where we'll probably park. This is where the wind is supposed to be for that day. Um, here's where the stands are, and here's why. And broke it down like looking at the topography and where the water was and there's creeks and there's cliffs and there's fields of crops and all sorts of stuff and and uh selecting where that spot was um and then i i loaned you some detergent to make sure that you were washing your clothes that you're going to be wearing to make sure that they were scent free um which i think to you was like a one of those like moments where it's like, duh, but I'd never thought of that. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I also remember he sending me some texts beforehand. Like what, what can I, you know, should I do like my underwear? Should I do my socks? Can I wear like lipstick? Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. all these different like things. I'm like, well, I've never thought about the lipstick part. Like mm-hmm. maybe we should look this up. <laughs> I've never, that's never been something that's been on my radar, yeah. but 
you know, these are all great questions. Even like earrings, you know, I was just like, what can I bring? I don't know what smells like what to animals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was really exciting. And easy. Again, it was one of the things where it was like, you said scent free and I went into this panic where I was just like, but what is scent free? Can I be scent free? I'm going to fail, you know? And like, was a really just like, wait, I, I asked you so many questions about that, Mike. And looking back, I'm just like, duh, it's just scent free. You know, like once you've done it, you just like wash your clothes in some detergent, you put it in a little bin, you just don't have anything else that might smell bad. And also it's fine if you mess it up, yep. you know, but it's like fine. you just have <laughs> yeah. to do it once and have a mentor be like, you're okay in order to kind of get over that. Cause yeah. now I could do it. It wouldn't be, I wouldn't ask you a single question next time, Yeah, but it was a huge deal for me. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It was fun for me to like, do you remember that? think about that. Did you care yeah, about the, the smell? The process? Like, yeah, definitely. There's a, a learning curve and, um, yeah, you don't want to mess it up. And so you're trying to pay attention to every little thing and, when you say like it's easy like it what i've learned is that if oh, like with everything in the outdoors there are people that like think about those things very intensely and so mm -hmm. there's always things to learn like how to do things better there's a baseline with every part of the you know doing things on the outdoors hunting fishing camping anything there's a baseline just to get involved and it's a low pressure at that point but if you want to take it to different levels there's always a place to keep learning yeah I think that's like, like a good, that would be a good sort of question to always ask people when you're starting out with them. You know, do you want to take it all the way? Like, do you want to do the best hunt you can possibly do right now? Or do you want to just be chill? Mm -hmm. Because mm. I think like you just knew that about me, that I just wanted to be chill. <laughs> and I wasn't trying to do the best hunt of the whole world because that would, that would stress me out. And I think that would mean I would definitely never do it again. But I definitely have friends who would be like, I don't want to do this halfway. Mm -hmm. And they would be really motivated by like being excellent. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, that's good, good feedback. I never would have thought of that. Um, so yeah, we got we drove to the to the farm. Mm -hmm. We got there and um, changed into our clothing on site, which is a good idea to do because if you're driving in your vehicle with all of your scentless clothing, you're picking up scents during the drive. So um, when I hunt, doesn't matter if it's below zero, I'm still, you know, basically stripping down to my undergarments and putting all my unscented stuff on in the field. And then we, uh, we talked about how to put on a harness, a safety harness to make sure that you're not, uh, um, putting yourself in danger when you're 15 feet up in a tree. You got uh, a safety line to make sure that you're not falling. And uh, we needed to put one stand in. So my brother Derek had um, a portable tree stand and some steps and we, we took a walk. He put, threw it on his back, we took a walk and I'd already selected a tree. Um, if I was hunting that tree, I probably wouldn't have picked. That was just a really good spot for observation. It wasn't really trail heavy, but it sat on a field that was full of clover. And I had, you know, in my scouting and trail cameras, I knew that there was deer in there basically every night, about an hour and a half before dark, they would come out. So I knew you were going to see deer there. I had a, a lot of confidence in it. I guess it's never a sure thing, but I had a lot of confidence in that. So Derek put the stand up and I kind of talked you through it as he was doing that. And then you climbed up mm -hmm. and, um, what did you think about that? Was it, were you nervous at all about climbing up and, and on my stable up here? 
Um, no, but I think that's like, you know, I've been climbing things mm. and just like being outside in trees and stuff forever. So I think that, that part was pretty chill. I didn't wear enough clothes, obviously, because I got so cold. Uh, <laughs> but that was fun, too. It was like fun to be like, how do I sit still but sure. also stay warm mm-hmm. right now? Well, really, I should have just worn more clothes. Yeah. It's really the only thing. <laughs> that part was good. I was actually thinking, though, as you were kind of telling that story about how one thing that like I take for granted when I think about this hunting experience is that it, it was just chill to do all these things with like two men one who i didn't know at all your brother but i think just because i was so chill with you you know and being like this idea that you just get out with whoever you're with and you just change and you just like walk into the woods with these strangers and you go up um and being like that's also kind of a scary thing to do all those things especially like asking about like what can i bring how much of a boy you know what i mean should i be bringing like how many i don't know like asking those questions about gender on the way there, you know, because a lot of your gender is wrapped up in how you wear clothes. Everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Like boys are only going to wear certain kinds of pants or certain kinds of shirts. And being like, I just have a lot of questions about this and I feel scared and I don't know how much I can do or not do. Um, and I didn't even have those worries. And that's cool. And that's just a testament to just how like, no matter what barriers are in your way, I think if you're with somebody who's really, who you feel really safe with and you feel like you know them really well, then it's just chill. Because I don't know, that actually probably would have been the scariest part of the whole thing, that like social time with a bunch of guys doing their hunting thing mm-hmm. beforehand would have been the most stressful part for me if I had yeah. known you really well. well can, I think it can be like a very hyper-masculine environment, you know, to a fault sometimes. Yeah. You know, and I can see why some, to, to an outsider that might be a, maybe an imposing presence or a maybe non-welcoming environment to throw yourself into because then once i was in the tree it was just like okay cool now i just stay here for four hours Mm -hmm. and that part was like pretty easy and pretty Mm -hmm. awesome actually Mm. it was beautiful it was cold but it was really beautiful yeah it was kind of a a less than ideal weather for humans it was a great weather for deer i could tell they were chilling but but it was it was windy and it was pretty cold and it was drizzling mm-hmm. mm. um and that uh that can make you pretty cold pretty fast if you're underdressed mm-hmm. um so once you got into the stand i walked across that clover field and kind of checked in with you as i was walking away giving you a thumbs up like are you good and as, i wish i would have filmed this because as i walked further and further away from you, you basically just disappeared <laughs> which is really cool because when you're in, up close you're like oh that's obviously a person standing in that tree and as I got further away, you just disappeared right into the backdrop of the forest, which was really cool. That's sweet. Um, so I went past the clover field into a uh, through a bedding area, tall grass, and then into a a, a grove of oaks, oak trees, um, where I had put a stand in the day before. And we were probably uh, eighty yards apart, maybe a hundred yards apart. Um, I could see into the field, into the corner of the field. Um, And I also made sure that we had established ground rules for communication. Mm. We can text each other and then check in, like, how are you doing? Are you staying warm? Have you, you know, seen anything cool? But I also made sure to mention that, like, you can't tell me that there's deer heading south. Right. Or that there's one coming your direction. 
you can't use technology as a, a tool for getting a leg up on game. Which is very helpful because then I sent a text that just said, when I saw deer, deer, a <laughs> <laughs> Lots. That was Lots. the follow-up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But that was also a good moment of just like, okay, cool, I know the rules. Yeah. yeah. I appreciated that. Mm-hmm. I also remember when we were, we were in the stand, or I was in my stand maybe 45 minutes, and there was a text from Ocean that said, nothing yet. And I was like, ooh, I probably should have told Ocean that it's probably going to be an hour and a half from now. Because we got in at, it was about four. Yeah. And last shooting light was about 645. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't planning on seeing any deer until about quarter to six. And I never gave you the heads up, like, find as many squirrels or birds to watch as possible. Because, you know, if you're expecting a deer to walk in as soon as you sit down, I mean, sometimes that happens. But mm-hmm. that's definitely yeah. not the norm. Yeah. Yo, and don't get the wrong song stuck in your head right before you go out. <laughs> what I was really, it for you? Do you remember? I don't even remember. I just remember being like, dang it, this song is not even catchy and really boring and just not helping me at all That's right a now. good tip. That, that's yeah. a tip I've never heard on a, on a hunting podcast, YouTube video, or television <laughs> show. Get the right song in your head? Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Interesting. I remember Mike told me once that he used to do uh, find the ABCs in tree branches. Oh. Or try to. So every time I get bored, I start thinking about that. Mm. I never really make it too far. Yeah. Like B is hard. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta do, like when my family does the 50 plates thing, you know, if we're like doing a a road trip or whatever, you just gotta do it out of order. Like A, F, H. There you go. That's totally what I do. I'm like, ooh, there's an X. I'm coming back to that one later. If you get stuck on the B, you'll never get X. Because the trees aren't gonna change. That's so true. I always wonder what other people, I know that my, uh, my, one of my hunting, my, for sure, my bow hunting mentor, Carrie, who I refer to as Gordon, um, has told me that he likes to think about like, what would it look like if these woods were cleared out and how close would a deer be in that case? And that's sometimes fun. Like there was a computer game some odd years back called deer hunter and you could, you know, look at a map and then click on the map where you'd want to set your stand up. But you could put a cheat code in that was like, I remember the co- the cheat code was DH Bambi. Ooh. Back to your Bambi. Bambi and if you did that, it's the map would night. show you where the deer were and you'd be like, oh, there's three of them walking this way. I want to put my stand right oh, there. And it was okay. immediate that you were in that place. And yeah. it was like, oh, here comes a deer right now. And then you'd shoot it. I think to myself sometimes like, man, that would be really cool to have that cheat code right yeah. now yeah. where I could say like, you know, type in DH Bambi, DH Bambi, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's a deer over there. There's a deer over there. I know exactly where they were. You know, your mind just kind of goes into some weird places when you're sitting in helpful, silence though. for two hours. But that's really helpful because I definitely didn't. I so I didn't develop that skill. You know, on when we were hunting. But I remember taking a backpacking trip with my dad, and he just took it for granted that I would figure out what to do with my brain the whole time that we were walking in silence for days and days. And I, like, went crazy. I, like, started hating my dad. And then I had to, like, on the fourth day, I was like, I hate you. You don't talk to me enough. I don't know what to do. I'm having a horrible time. I'm having a panic attack. And he was like, what? And then that's when he finally, like, was like, okay, here's what you do with your brain. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you can tell yourself stories. You can look at these things. But we really take for granted that people have sat with themselves long enough to be chill in a tree for four hours, Mm -hmm. you know? But what if I hadn't been? I could have really gone off the deep end. Well, I'd like to reshare a story from when we were driving out there. And I, I remember Derek asking you, you know, 
you should be prepared yeah to sit stationary you know in a two by two foot square for four hours what kind of experience do you have with doing that and i got a kick out of your response <laughs> well i was um a very well-paid nude model at kenyan college <laughs> and you don't even know about sitting still finding something to do with your brain when everybody is looking at all your nudie bits and you're not allowed to move at all because if you move at all, then their pencil mark is going to get all messed up and they're like, put your leg back where it was. It's horrible. There you so, go. I'm so prepared. Man. I had the best time. <laughs> and that, that made me realize I don't know anything about the pressures of standing still. Yeah. And, and scent control. <laughs> That's great. It's like, that's, a, that's a new thing for me, and I never considered it. And I was like, that's a really good point. I'm never going to like say anything about how difficult it is to stand in a deer stand for three hours. Right. Because you've never Screw had the, the alphabet. That's warrior gonna be, pose. The, the alphabet's out the window. I'm going to be right. thinking about being naked in the tree stand. <laughs> I did actually Stay think still. about that a little bit. I was like... Stay still. Yeah. Somebody's drawing you. <laughs> Somebody could be drawing you. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that's awesome. So we've been sitting for a while. What, yeah. what happens next? Well, I see some deer. Then I think about the deer for a long time. And then all of a sudden there's a sound in the woods. And I remember Mike had casually mentioned like sometimes you can hear it from far away. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, that was definitely the sound. And I had this really eerie moment where all the deer, there were like 10 deer in the field. Just How close chilling. were they? They were no closer than 50, mostly like 100. I gave Ocean a rangefinder just for funsies. And I see. was doing it for everything. Trees, birds, squirrels, yeah. and then yeah, I did yeah. the deer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so they were like not close enough to shoot. Um, but they all looked up at once and like stared in the direction of the shot. And like me and all the deer were like, whoa, what happened? And then the deer just went back to eating. Mm. And then I was just like, life goes on. Oh my gosh, like... If I didn't know that that's what that was, I would never have known. And Mike's over there having like a really emotional reaction to having killed a deer. And there's a deer over there that's just dying in the woods. And I'm not that far away. Mm -hmm. And I'm just still just shivering in this little tree, you know? And I have no idea what's going on. That was a really... I wasn't expecting that sort of like how chill everything was. Like, I don't know. I thought the birds would fly up and everything would run away and there'd be like crying or something horrible would <laughs> yeah. happen, you know? Interesting. Yeah. I think that's, that's like the Bambi image, right? Mm -hmm. Of like that loud yeah and then and like then, the violins are like <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. you think there's gonna be a soundtrack yeah. or something yeah for death yeah so for me what what happened was um i hadn't really seen any deer up until then and behind me it was just like commotion and this deer this doe came like at a full sprint she was spooked i mean tail the flag up so her when a, when a white tail shows their tail, the white underside of their tail, that's like they're alarmed. So she was running in and she literally just stopped right underneath my feet. I mean, we were joking earlier because you had a box of goldfish in the <laughs> truck. And I was like, you can bring those into the deer stand? And you're like, yeah, I'm going to feed the deer. I mean, if I would have had goldfish, I could have just like dropped them like onto her head. head. She yeah. was right under my wow. feet. Wow. Um, and she stood there for a really long time. I mean, she, she looked up seemingly at me didn't react just went back to like picking at acorns and and uh eventually she walked out um to about 10 yards and when she stepped behind a tree i drew back because i you know that's a good time because i can't see the movement when there's a tree in the way 
and she stepped out just far enough where just her head was around the tree. And I'm at full draw. And at that point, she I think she saw me. She didn't know what I was, but she was kind of like staring at me to try to check me out. Like, what? Something's different here. And it felt like I was drawn back for five minutes. But in reality, it was probably like 30 seconds. And just as I was about to let it down, and I knew if I was going to let it down, she was going to see the movement and bolt. Just as I was like making that decision to let the, the string down, she stepped out and she exposed her vitals. And so I let the shot go. It was a, I mean, it was exactly where I wanted to hit her. Um, ended up being a double lung and a, and a nicked heart upon further review. And she, she took off running. And um, I really was experiencing some pretty intense, um, I don't know, it was just like an overload of emotion or something. And I, that's kind of atypical for me. I mean, typical, it is a common thing for me to feel emotion, but I was like, sh- like physically shaking. Yeah. And I don't really know why that was. Hmm. I think maybe I was feeling a little bit of, of pressure in the situation because you know, I've got a first timer out here. This is a good opportunity to like to teach about the finality of all this. You know, there was just maybe other things I was thinking about, but I was like actually physically shaking and I was still shaking when you and Derek came to the stand. Um, and then there was an also another interesting thing is, you know, I got on the phone with you ocean and said, you know, I got a deer down and you were like, I've still got tons of deer in this field. And then it's, it was like starting to rain. And what I really like about bow hunting is what you mentioned before is there's no disruption. Yeah. And so I was having this dilemma of like, I don't want you to get down and push all these deer out of here. Right. Um, and spook them because they're, I mean, they're perfectly content. Maybe they'll walk off. But as it started to rain harder, I was like, all right, we got to, we got to go. Because no, I don't want to lose this blood trail. Right. And then also the light. I mean, it was just nice. It took us a long time to get that deer out of the woods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And because we, we got lost on our way out, too, after we... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm glad I'm glad you called me over when you did. Yeah. Because that's the other thing. Hunting is a really big time commitment. Yeah. It's yep. okay. I had a really amazing time, but, you know, I got home at, like, 1130 or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Derek came... He was hunting probably a quarter mile away. And walked to your stand and grabbed you, and then you came to me, and I, I could tell you were coming because I could hear the the deer in the field, they were snorting at you, mm-hmm. like, like oh they must be coming, and they still stood there just like snorting, and then they finally ran off. I don't know which direction they came, but you came over, um, nearly stepped on a skunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? <laughs> at that point, I was like, Derek, there's a skunk like right here. You better steer clear. That's I've never seen so many skunks. There's like tons of skunks over there. But anyways, came over. Um, I lowered my bow down and I climbed out and we walked over to the arrow and looked at it. The lighted knock was glowing. It's pretty easy to tell um, where the arrow was. And then we tracked it. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, pretty good blood trail. Found the deer pretty quickly. Maybe went 30 yards. Hmm. Um, and I'm interested to hear your perspective of once we found the animal. Like what you thought and what your observations were 
what you saw. Well, you know, I'm like a sad queer who grew up on stories of like gay people in the Holocaust. So I am always thinking about my own mortality and I'm very like self-centered in that way, I guess. But I really was like thinking about how even just seeing the blood trail, just like I have that color blood. Oh my gosh, that Mm. is such a crazy bright color when it's fresh out of the body like Mm -hmm. that and immediately was just kind of feeling like a deer like i think when i think about the deer i often think about like anybody could just hunt me if i was walking through a woods you could easily shoot me i would be like what oh my god you know like i would be just like the deer yeah yeah. so when i saw the deer on the ground it was just immediately it was just like what would it be like for me to die you know what would it be like for me to be killed what if mike killed me i don't know just all these crazy thoughts went through my head because Mm. It was like I was really closely connected to this animal that just didn't feel that different from me. And and then I was really I just remember being way more grateful than I thought I'd be when you both thanked the deer, you know, out loud. It wasn't just like sort of this like idea. It was like something that we did. And then like everybody kind of reached out and like touched the deer a lot. And it was this moment of like, hey, thank you. That was beyond just words or just gestures that I thought was just like helped me be at peace with the fact that this had happened. And then also I really liked that it was like, then you just had to get to work. Mm-hmm. You know, you see the deer and it was like, I couldn't even figure out how I felt about it yet, but I was kind of just like, Oh, it could be me. It could be anybody life and death, blah, blah, blah. And then it was just immediately switch into like, now we have to cut it open and like mm-hmm. pull all this stuff out of it and like leave that there. And then we have to tie it to a rope. And it was just like one thing after the other and I just mm-hmm. skipped so many steps there that I didn't even have to think through because I wasn't the one doing the butchering but even just watching and helping and like holding the legs and holding the head mm-hmm. you know and tying the rope it was just mm. like there's a lot of steps and so then I don't even really I remember everything but it was just like I remember it being so still and having all these thoughts until we saw the deer's body and then it was just basically until the deer was in the back of the truck mm-hmm. I didn't have to think a lot about what we were doing yeah it was just like, we have to get the body yeah. to the spot. Yeah. I remember also checking in with you a lot, too. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that's something that I don't know if it was necessary. But to a new hunter, I know that, that that's the stage that can make or break it for people. Yeah. For sure. You I'm know? glad you did. I was fine. But if I hadn't been, it would have been a really nice moment for me to be able mm-hmm. to duck out. You know, mm-hmm. for sure. Because a couple of times you were like, do you want to be part of this process or not? And that also told me that I didn't have to do more than I wanted to, you know, which yeah. was nice because a couple of times I would like stand back and watch just even how you moved your body around this dead animal and like what is respectful, you know, what is like appropriate right now? What parts are we allowed to touch? All that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it was nice to be able to watch first, not even just from a fear perspective, but just like not knowing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this, I mean, the story ends at, well, the, you kind of had shared this before, but we got turned around. It was raining. It was mm-hmm. dark. We mm-hmm. got turned around. What should have been maybe a 50-yard drag to the field, maybe 75 yards tops, turned into like 300 yards. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, we went in a big circle. We went in a big circle, <laughs> and we lost the blood trail because of the rain. Yeah. So we couldn't follow the blood trail back out. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and we had no cell signal to yeah. get any sort of GPS coordinates. Um, also, n- no cell signal to make a phone call to anybody, like the landowner, to be like, hey, I got a deer down, and I'm not sure where we are. And we left um, our marking tape 
in the car. So yeah. we didn't even mark the trail along the way. Yeah. The only thing that we had is that we, which was kind of our saving grace, was that we left the arrow at the site of impact and that glowing knock yeah. was kind of what we used as our landmark. So as Ocean and I were dragging the deer, Derek was basically walking a large circle perimeter around us trying to spot that because um, we didn't have a compass or I mean we were really unprepared in that regard yeah um, so uh, being in a new property this is the first year I've ever hunted there um, hunting in a stand that I've I'd only been around once and it was a new brand new spot um, I, I can say that I learned a lot about in that instance having some sort of backup because I'm used to having cell signal. I'm used to be able to like pulling up my hunting app and looking at it or Google maps and seeing like, okay, I'm right here. I got to go east or I got to go west or I got to go left or whatever. I got to turn around here. We couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. So even just having a compass would have made that way easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I'm going to make sure I have in my pack from now on, regardless of where I'm hunting, just as a backup, like your cell phone dies, you know, yeah. if you're going to be so reliant on that, like, on your cell phone, you know, I've, I've really become dependent on it and I need to not do that. I mean, that's, that's certainly my takeaway from, from that hunt. Yeah. Interesting. Yo. And also make sure you have a bright flashlight. Cause I had a headlamp, but the headlamp did not yeah. illuminate very much. Yeah. So I was just following along. Too. Yeah. And have extras, right? Cause I <laughs> yeah. had a headlamp and I had a flashlight. I gave you the flashlight. Yep, and that helped a lot. Um, having multiple things, um, so the summation is that we we then butchered the deer up, quartered it out. Tense, yeah. We took it. We hung it by a meat hanger, which mm. looked alarmingly like a clothes hanger, and then we just like took off all the skin, and then we chopped off the legs at the bone, and it made like a horrible cracking sound. Mm-hmm. And we like had to yank it over the head, you know, the skin over the head, and all of that, and just to be like, wow. This goes into every time I put meat in my body or anybody puts meat in their body. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, yep. that's just so intense. There's so much work getting the skin off. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I was really impressed by how laborious the process was. You know, yeah. it wasn't even just hunting it and pulling the guts out. It was like all these steps to get that meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the important it's important to me that it takes that amount of work because it gives me that much more appreciation for what's on my plate later. Yeah. Right. I don't, a lot of people, when they harvest a deer, they bring it to a butcher, which is fine. But to me, when I, I've done that in the past and I have felt that I've now gotten disconnected from the harvest. Mm. I like being in possession of the animal animal from field dressing all the way to wrapping it in white paper. Yeah. You know, so, and I ended up giving you a nice little bundle of white paper too for your efforts, and I'm I'm hoping that you enjoy that delicious tenderloin. Ooh, that'll be the first meat like I cook at my house in a very long time. Hmm. I'm excited about it. Cool. Yeah, I wanted to mention one part about just like my feeling about the the you know gutting of the deer and the sort of work that you said, like once it, once it was found and it's like, well, now it's time to get to work. Like I I felt the same feeling when you and your brother and your dad helped me with my first deer 
and the apprehension that I felt. And I was very uncertain about this whole gutting process. Like yeah. that was not something I really wanted yeah. to do. Yeah. And like you said, like that's the kind of the make or break it moment of like, well, am I going to like hunting? Uh, I didn't really like how the shot played out and how this has gone so far. Right. And like, if I don't like this, I will, I'm not doing this again. Um, but I felt like once the deer was, had, you know, died, I've had this moment of like, okay, but you did this. Yeah. Now you have to make it worth like it. You have to, you, I had an obligation, like yeah, get to work. Like if it, it was cold and all that, but like in warmer weather, it's like, well, every minute you sit here, like you're risking losing the meat. Yeah. And you did this. Yeah. So like you have to see it through. You yeah. can quit later, I guess, if you didn't like it, but like get to it. And I, that was helpful. And I don't know, nobody said that I needed to feel that way. It just was like a natural thing that like, all right, I did that so far that, you know, again, it was, it was bad, but like, there's no time to think about it and reflect right now. Like we got to get through this and even through like the skinning and all of that. It's like, okay, well we got to keep working because the job's not done. It just started really. And a lot of things are good and bad. A lot of things are both, Mm -hmm. you know, in life. And I feel like once you've killed something, it's like, it's only up from here. There's only more, you know, the more you can use this meat and the more you can like honor this animal and the more like work you can do, you know, it's almost like you're making the good part come back up to like equal the bad part. Cause For death sure. is always bad, but death is also part of life and like life is always bad. So I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just continue. That's a good way to think about it. Like keep making the good happen. I mean, yeah. it extends all the way that we're still eating the meat off of that deer. Yeah. Um, in some, like just got a little bit left and preparing a good meal. My wife and I just had a, like a really awesome salad and like, yeah, just not turning it into, or, you know, not a, not using the meat and a and B like not treating it well, like try to make something really nice out of it and try to keep bringing joy and sharing it with people. And those are all ways to make it better for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. That's interesting. Um, so you got it butchered. What happened then? <laughs> did you guys have any debriefing moments together, or did you? Was that kind of all part of the process as you were doing things, talking about what happened? Yeah, I, when we left, you know, once the the deer was all yep finished, um, I remember pulling away and having that conversation with you, and I was kind of like, "Well, do I want to save this for the podcast?" To, you know, or but I was curious in the moment. I didn't want to let that pass by. I wanted to talk about it while it was fresh. And so yeah. I asked the question like, okay, so now you've, you've sat, I mean, you've, you've done everything from looked at the map to plan where that tree, you know, what tree you're going to sit in to yeah. watching deer sitting there for an hour to hearing the impact, the tracking all that to butchering. What are your takeaways? I mean, is it something that you would, do again would you have any interest in being the person to to harvest the deer yourself um what how involved do you want to be and if you don't that's fine i I would be curious to know what all that feedback is Mm -hmm. well i think um i'm still figuring it out you know but i would definitely go again i would go again with you or with somebody else now that I've gone with you who I trust and who knows what they're doing. Um, and I think like 
it doesn't feel like something I either like loved or hated in terms of like the actual killing of the animal. I loved the time that I spent, even if we were trees apart, that we shared that experience with somebody who I'm so close to. I loved being outside. Um, I loved like walking through the woods. I loved like all of the parts of it. And I think I would definitely hunt again. And I, I could see myself someday getting to the point where I owned a bow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to try it some more and see yeah. see how I feel after a couple of hunts. And maybe I'll try shooting bow for a little while. Yeah. I mean, you got some practice last June. Yeah. Ocean and I uh, taught an archery class together at the school when we were teaching together. Um, I was looking for a partner to help me facilitate this uh, um, student group of uh, new archers. And Ocean jumped on board and was really good at it. Yeah, Mike brought the looks, the brains, the skills, and the knowledge, <laughs> and I made a lot of jokes. <laughs> so it was a really good team. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. Well, cool. Um, do you have any more thoughts or anything we kind of want to go over in this whole process? I think. Well, Mike, I wanted to ask you. One thing you mentioned to me on the drive home when we had that kind of that debrief talk Mm -hmm. is that you were like, I don't know how I'm going to sleep tonight, you know? And I really responded to that. I wanted to know a, like, how did you sleep, Mm. you know? And B like years and years and years into hunting. Um, for me, that was such an impactful moment. This is my first time, you know, how does like, how big of like a, a deal was that trip for you? I don't know. That's a really good question. For some reason, this particular hunt was more impactful to me than any other time I'd ever hunted whitetail. I I guess I haven't like untangled that at all, like in my own mind about why that is. You know, I kind of alluded to that when I was talking about how how bad I got the shakes after that. Mm -hmm. And I think in thinking back on it I think that's a product of a lot of different things I think part of that was the fact that I had watched that deer for so long mm-hmm. um, it didn't happen fast you know so there's been plenty of times where like a deer walks in and it's like oh here we go and it walks right into the shooting lane and you let it you know let the arrow go and it's it's done super fast this was not I mean mm-hmm. I made eye contact with that deer probably three or four times for sure where she looked at what I thought was looking at me and I was looking at her and we, you know, you kind of have this like intimacy mm-hmm. and it, it, I think maybe it felt weird in that case to like then have that intimate moment and then come to the decision like, okay, you know, it's time. Um, so I think that was one of, one of those um, contributors to why I was feeling a little bit more emotional than normal. And I think the other one was just having somebody new with, you know, it was also like knowing like I, I have to kind of decompress after this, but I also have to make sure that I'm like teaching mm-hmm. what's going on um, in this moment, like, you know, coaching through like, here's what we do now. Um, and that was so much more of it than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Most of your job was to just help me emotionally process 
what was going on and very little of your job was to like teach me the skills per se i mean you did teach me the skills but like thinking about percentage wise mm-hmm. i guess i hadn't thought about that either if you're like showing somebody how to hunt you have to like really think about the emotional side of things yeah. for them yeah kind of you know yeah. i wonder and if that was part of it and i think and then the other thing was to to really get at your question was was how how did i sleep that night um there was a lot of things that happened in that hunt that I, th- I think could have been better. Hmm. You know, you can always be, you know, a, you can always think of ways that you could have done better. Um, that's that's for me the earliest in the season that I'd ever shot a deer. Not like calendar wise, but on my second sit. And usually, you know, you're sitting for like forty hours. You get pretty good at like getting yourself into the mindset of harvesting a deer this happened really fast and i don't know if i had prepared myself mentally or emotionally for that yeah um yeah i mean i i slept fine but there was there's definitely a lot of stuff where i was like thinking a lot about my interactions with that deer prior to the kill shot and just also like my failures in that hunt and what i could have done better Mm -hmm. you know i think that the deer was taken quick it was a it was a, a good shot the deer perished quickly didn't go far you know probably felt little to no pain which is all great but there's all there's always things that you can learn from yeah you know so yeah i have a question for you yeah did you know you wanted to do this hunting thing all the time after that first hunt um yeah i think it i don't know how long it took me but it it was exciting and it was it was a whole lot of things and it wasn't I, th- I think I realized shortly after that I wasn't having the reaction that I thought I was like that I was scared of having mm-hmm. I was like I, I think if I would have felt a certain way I'd be feeling it already and I just got to this point where I was like yeah I think I could do that again but and I guess like, my question is the difference between that could and that like I want to do that again yeah, and then it became a. It shortly became like a want. Uh-huh. Like it, it was more about like making it through those first days, like moments, and then days about like, am I handling this okay? Like, yeah. is this, you know, as we're gutting it, like uh, I think this is all good. And being with experienced people that are like, this is what needs to happen. It it really took me out of that. Mm-hmm. So then I think it took a few days to kind of go like, you know, how did I really feel about that and. Is that something I'd be interested in? And the more I thought about it, it was like, yeah, that was a great time. That was a great weekend. Um, there was, a, you know, about an hour where it was not great, um, which we kind of went over. But that, I understood that that was part of hunting. It, you know, things can go wrong. But seeing sort of the whole breadth of it, like knowing what's the potentially almost the worst case scenario knowing what that bottom feels like i was like oh i think i could handle everything else Mm -hmm. just from like a emotional state like i think i've got the capacity where i just had no i didn't know that i could do that before and once i kind of answered that for myself it was like well yes i love to be in the woods i love to be interacting with animals i love fishing you know i go this fits right into all the things i love and if I'm capable of like handling the process, then I want to keep doing it. So yeah. it took a little bit to, to get there, but 
I surprised myself about how I reacted. I think I didn't, I thought I would, I thought it would hit me harder or I thought I'd be more conflicted with the whole process. And I, I really wasn't too much. Yeah. And I I think I also don't want to give the impression that it's like all like sorrow and gloom. You know, I'm worried that that's kind of the way that I kind of projected that situation. But I, what I would think is really important that it's like, to me as a hunter, the, the moment it becomes mindless is the moment I stop. Mm. You know, as soon as it like stops, as soon as I stop feeling something from it, you know, the, the, the sadness or the, 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 you know, like those shakes that I got, that emotional response, as soon as that's gone, I'm going to be done because it's important to me to acknowledge the you know, the existence of that animal and it's, and it's life and it coming to an end. Um, but I also really enjoy spending time with like Jake and with, with you ocean and, and experiencing these things and spending time outside. I mean, there's so many things that happened during that sit, like before that deer came through that were so cool, Mm -hmm. like Northern flickers everywhere. It's my favorite bird. They're everywhere. You know, seeing all these things and existing in an environment where nothing knows that you're there is really cool. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love so much about it. And the the harvest of the deer is, that's secondary. Yeah. I mean, that's that's great, and I'm excited when that happens. But that's not really what I'm out there for. I mean, it is, but that's not the objective. I don't know. Does that make sense? It does. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm going out there to to spend some time in the woods, to to kind of relax my mind and give it some time to think through all these things that maybe I haven't given myself the time to think through, mm-hmm. um, kind of meditate in a yeah. way. And, uh, and a, when a deer comes through, that's kind of your kind of like snap out of it and get into like the, like the actual hunting part of it. So that's what I love about it. Yeah. And I'm hoping that, you know, even if it's something that, you know, I don't, I introduce to somebody and they don't like it. Hopefully they have a positive experience with it, that they're willing to like share that with other people to get them interested. For sure. For sure. I think even if I never hunt again, I've already told a bunch of people (laughs) how they should feel about hunting. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. I'm changing hearts and lives. But I also think that like, you never know what's going to happen down the road. You know, like even if I don't hunt tomorrow, you've put the bug in my brain, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'm really grateful about that. Cool. Yeah. I'm happy that you had the, you know, that you were open-minded enough to give it a try. I don't regret it at all. I'm really glad I went. Yeah, I was happy to have you. Yeah. Awesome. Sounds like it was a fun, fun experience. Thanks for sharing uh, everything. That was awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me in your really nice place. Thank you. Yeah, we're making improvements to the studio here. (laughs) So slowly but surely. Yeah, it's cute. I heard it used to be a trash heap, but now it's really cute. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, with with Ocean in future episodes, I would like to talk about maybe vegetarianism. Yeah. And maybe talk about uh, opening doors to make people like yourself or that identify in different ways than like rural white males 
to feel welcomed in this environment. And I'd like to know or pick your brain more about how to do that. So I think um, our audience, our listeners can, you know, kind of mull that over. Maybe if you have questions for Ocean in preparation for that podcast, you could send uh, a message to uh, on our Facebook First Time Outdoors. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram, First Time Outdoors. You can send us a message there. You can email Jake at firsttimeoutdoors.com. You can email Mike at firsttimeoutdoors.com. If you have any questions um, about uh, expanding the demographic of who hunters are. Yeah. Yeah, and if you have any weird personal questions, you know, by day I teach kindergartners, so I will answer anything you've got. (laughs) I've already heard it all. Cool. Well, thanks again for joining us, guys. I think that's a good place to uh, end this week, and stay tuned for next week for more First Time Outdoors. Take care.